I nearly jumped the gun and Sean caught me on my way up. I didn't know there was another verse coming. Someone told me that was the last verse. <laughs> but it wasn't. Uh, we're very happy you all are here today. Uh, I'd like to take uh, this opportunity along with Sean to say happy mother, Mother's Day to all the mothers. Uh, I've been a fan of mothers all, I guess, back from the time I was born. I was always partial to my mama, still am. And uh, fortunately in my life, uh, I've had a lot of mothers along the way of life. There's been a, a lot of women who I think looked on me with a fondness of a son, was always good to me, treated me very well, better than I deserved. And uh, well, I just love it to death, to tell you the truth. I had a wonderful mother-in-law. I loved her so very much. If your mama's still alive and among you, appreciate that woman. I don't believe there'll ever be anybody that can love you like she does. You may have a wife that loves you, and I don't doubt that not one bit. But a mama's love is different. A mama is careful to make sure that when she folds your socks up and you unfold them, they're not inside out. A wife figures you got enough sense to do that yourself. So there's a difference between a mama's love and a wife's love. I love my wife's love, but she never would turn my socks inside right. So I always put them on inside out. But uh, happy Mother's Day. I truly, true. I mean, I truly love you. And I believe with all my heart that uh, mothers uh, are one of the greatest strengths we have as a nation. I said that one time, and someone said, well, what about the soldiers? I said, well, Mama raises the soldier. <laughs> you know, mamas uh, can fortify our nation uh, from the inside out. They can make the heart. And when the person's got a, a good heart, they're going to be a good adult. And that's generally the influence of mamas, at least in my family it was. I was kind of like the authority figure. I was the one that uh, said, no. And mama, she, uh, she kind of cuddled him before she said no. But uh, it's different. I'll never forget the time Farland Flat stood here talking about his mama. And he couldn't hardly talk. He choked up and his eyes watering. He might be the only man that ever made my eyes water. Uh, I listened to him talk about his mama, and he got the best of me. Uh, at his age, I was moved by his love for his mother, though she was gone for so many years, like mine is now. And I, well, I still, I'm crazy about that lady. I guess I always will be. The time I was born, the time I die, hopefully, in the world beyond. One more time. I adore you, mamas. 
Solomon wrote about the virtuous woman. Usually I got this at the end of my lesson and I never get to read it. So I thought this time I'd put it up front so I could get all the way through it. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, you got to keep in mind, Solomon penned this, but he received those words from God, okay? This is what God says of the virtuous woman, the excellent woman, if you will. Who can find a virtuous wife or excellent wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She also rises while it is yet night, early morning, and provides food for her household. She'll consider a field and buy it. And from her profits, she'll plant vineyards. She girds herself, she's industrious. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She extends her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy with compassion, empathy. Her husband is known in the gates. The gate was the place of judgment. This is where the judgments were. Apparently, in this case, her husband was either a judge or a member of the court, the one under consideration. But because of his wife, he was known as a most fortunate man for having such a wonderful wife. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. On her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Therefore, her children rise up and they call her blessed. Her husband also, and he sings her praises. I believe with all my heart that when a nation has good mamas, we will have a good nation. It sounds too simple, but I've learned through the years that the ways of God are always simple. Men tend to make them difficult. But the rule of God is a very simple rule to follow, and it's very profitable as well. And such is the case with the virtuous woman. Many daughters have done well, but you, you, mama, you excel them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, oh, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her in the gates. And it does. They do follow. And she's commended for her excellent work. In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. On days one, two, and part three, part of three, God created the world the oceans, 
He made the land. He made a, a great light and a lesser light, not the sun and moon, but a different kind of a light. He prepared the earth for what was to come next, and that was life itself. Life was different than the earth or the water. Life needed substance in order to live. And God prepared the universe in such a way that he was now ready to let there be life. And in the latter part of verse 3, it reads, God said, let the earth bring forth grass. The herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit and each one according to its kind. I want you to focus on that word kind. It's very important. Jehovah makes a distinction between grass, the herb, and the fruit tree. There are different kinds of life. They're not the same. They're distinct, they're individual, and they're not to be mixed because that's the way he created them. On day four, the Lord created the sun and the moon and the stars in the heavens. Then comes day five. On day five, God created sea creatures, every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded with these creatures, and each, of course, according to their kind. There were different kinds of life that lived in the sea, from what we would think of as dragons to the smallest of plant life that lives in the oceans and everything in between. Each would multiply, each would produce, but only according to their own kind because God meant it to be that way. He created every winged bird on that day and he did so according to its kind. Each bird would bear after its own kind. It would never give birth to a cat or a dog. A bird is distinct individualized apart from all other life forms. On day six, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. There was to be cattle, creeping things, and beasts of the earth. These may have been dinosaurs and things of that stripe. But each was done according to its own kind. Very important, that little word kind. The latter part of day six, all things were ready. God was about to create his purpose. He created the, everything that exists in our material world, everything that has the germ of life. And he did so, so that he could create what would come next. And that's what was the cream, if you will, of the creation, or better put, the crown of creation. God created 
his greatest triumph of all out of all the things he created in six days. The latter part of day six, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Notice the difference between the language. How personal the language is here when God created man. Before we read, God created great sea creatures, every living thing that moves according to their kind, every winged bird according to its kind, almost in a matter-of-fact kind of way. And that's how he created everything. He said, let there be light, and there was light. But now his words become very personal, very different, very distinct from all other words that he's previously spoken. He speaks about making man in our image. Of course, he's talking about another kind. And this kind we call God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And God spoke and said, let us three make man in our image. We want to understand those words because they're very important. According to Strong's Talking Greek and Hebrew Dictionary, as well as the pulpit commentary on the book of Genesis, we find that the word image denotes the shadow outline of a figure. And then the word likeness, it denotes the correspondence or resemblance of that shadow to the figure. What's important for us to grab off the cuff here is that word shadow. We were made in the image of God. We resemble God because we were made in his own image. This was a first. It had never been done previously. The things God created already, he created solely for the purpose of providing, providing a place for his crown. And that crown was man. And man he created in his own image. The value of a human being, the value of human life is so astronomical. I don't think you and I could ever fully appreciate it. This is why we abhor, abhor abortion on demand. It's not right to murder innocent life. Especially the most innocent of all the ones that are in the womb. Because the Lord himself put a premium on that life. It's his crown, his glory, his triumph. And he loves it so much that he allowed his son to perish. And that for which Christ died, people kill million to a million and a half a year for no good reason at all. They, may, they are good reasons. I don't know about now, back in 1973, there were about 1,200 good reasons a year. Some of them were incest and rape. But most important of all was to protect the life of the mother. 
so that she wouldn't perish in the process. Save a life, sometimes you've got to take a life. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about the importance of human being. So important. In verse 27, he goes on to say, So God created man in his own image. We spoke a few minutes ago on this in our Bible class, but many people today find statements like this to be offensive. Today, in many colleges across the country, and even in some high schools, now you're not allowed to say man or woman. You can't say he or she. You have to say they, those people. You can't attach a, a, a sexual conclusion to another person. That's wrong. That's bad. Because people are whatever they are. And it's neither male nor female. Very popular today. Too popular today. The word man doesn't mean male. And this is where so many, even though they're educated, expose their stupidity. Before you complain about something, you ought to at least know what that something is. But I'd say you won't find many who condemn the use of the word man that even understands the meaning of it, at least not in the Hebrew Bible. It doesn't mean a male. Sometimes you read the word man, it's a different word, and it means a man. But in our text in Genesis chapter 1, it's talking about not male, but kind. Remember what we're talking about, different kinds? That's why I kept it pushing the word kind. God created each thing after its own kind. Then God created man a different kind. Better put, it would be mankind. It's not to be offensive if you know anything about anything at all. God created mankind in his own image on equal footing. There was no inferiority of one over the other. They were equal. Both were made in the image of God. Both were a shadow of the divine existence. Each one was proof in and of itself that God is. Because God gave us his shadow in the person of ourselves. God created man in his own image. He created grass, herbs, fruit trees, etc. And he said, each one according to its kind. And the same thing is true when you talk about man as it's used here. It's a kind. It's different. It's different than everything else God created. It's different from a cow or a dog or, or, or a cat. It's a different kind altogether. And it's referred to as mankind. A very useful term. In the image of God, he created him. He created mankind. Keep it together now. This is what we're talking about in the first two stanzas of this verse. God created mankind, and he did so in his own image. Now then, he changes his topic just a bit. 
He said male and female, he created them. There's only one mankind. You know, people, they talk today about races, different races. The black race and the brown race. Hear it all the time. I listened to Joe Biden yesterday talking about us as mistreating the blacks and the browns. Hey, I forget the term he used. White supremacist. That's what he called us. He was talking to a black gathering somewhere up north. And he referred to white supremacy. And he's talking about us. How we persecute, we prosecute, we're racist. We don't like black and brown people. Why, we have hundreds of thousands of brown people, black people in our brotherhood. How can we possibly be white supremacists as Joe Biden says? What? What does he say that for? Because he's trying to divide the country. He's trying to split us between what he calls racist. And the man, president of the United States, hasn't got enough sense to understand that there's only one kind, and that is mankind. There's only one race, and that's the human race. I'm sorry. I get excited sometimes. It always gives me a headache, too. The ignorance. A man who spouts before the entire nation such empty garbage just absolutely upsets me beyond belief because people believe that stuff. A black man is my brother. A black woman is my sister. It's got nothing to do with color. A black man came from Adam just like I came from Adam. Doesn't that make us brothers? How could we deny it? We all came from Adam and Eve. We all have the same parentage. You know, if he would open up his Bible once in a while, he might understand that he's barking at a shadow. Well, it's politics, so you know how that goes. Male and female, he created them. We are in, made in the image of God. The only distinction was in the body that we occupy while we're in this world. We get so caught up with our bodies you know, this is, this is us. This is, a body is us. Now, the body's going to go to dust, okay? You are not. You are going to go on into the Hadean realm. You're not going to end. Well, what part of you is that? That's spirit. You will never perish. You will never know termination. You're going to exist forever and ever and ever. Amen. But the body... He made two kinds of bodies. And there was reasons for that. First, he's discussing his race, uh, man's relationship to his maker in this verse. And then secondly, he's talking about sexual distinction between those who have been made in the divine image. That's the only thing that makes us different. Some are men... Some, oh, you're not supposed to say that. They, 
I don't know how to say it without saying him or her. Men and women. That's what the Lord meant, and that's what we'll teach. Male and female, he created them. Adam, the male, Eve, the female, and through God's law of procreation, this is the way people have been born ever since. Some are males and some are females. There's a difference. You're not supposed to say that either, are you? But there is a difference. I've seen B.R., and she's different than me. And you know what I'm talking about. There's a difference. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Notice, it is not good that man should be alone. There's a number of reasons we could think about why it was not good for man to be alone. But let me show you the most obvious reason of all. God created Adam. If Adam had remained alone, Adam had no one before him, Adam had no one after him. Adam would have lived his 930 years, he would have died, and that would be the end of the human family. He had to make him a helper, someone comparable to him, so they could love each other, marry each other, reproduce, and raise children. This is why you and I are here today. It's not good that man would be alone. So many more reasons. I think this is the most obvious of all. Adam said after God created Eve from a bone from his side, he fashioned her body from that bone. She had the same DNA as Adam had. He put a spirit inside that body. Eve became a living being, and God presented her to him to be his wife. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man, out of, ek. In the Greek language, it's ek, out of man. In Genesis 4 and 1, Adam knew his wife. She conceived. She bore a son. From the biblical record, it would appear, if we have the full account, but for what we know, it would appear that Eve was the first mother in human history. This is why she's referred to as the mother of all living. Through her came future generations of people and everyone who lives can call Eve their mother because from her we exist. How important is mother? How important is mother? I just want to talk about a mother's love for just a bit. Each year I try to give a different example of the love of a mother uh, from a biblical perspective. 
I think I'm using one this time I've never used before. That means I get to go back to the first example I ever used because everybody's now forgot it. And hopefully I'll use it next year. And you won't remember I did this once before. But in this account, uh, I want to point out what I think is a, a mother who was absolutely filled with love. And her love for her daughter was so great, so great. She had no pride when it came to her daughter. She would do anything she had to do for the sake of her daughter. Watch as the narrative unfolds. Jesus went out from there, and he parted to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, there was a woman of Canaan, a Gentile. She came from that region, and she cried out to Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Why is she embarrassing herself in this way? She's come out before him and his apostles, and who knows whoever was present as well. And she's begging, she's begging to him, have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. This woman loved her daughter so much that she would endure the humiliation because she believed that Jesus of Nazareth had the power to expel those demons from her body. Had she seen him do it before? I don't know. He hadn't been in that region before, but she could have been down in Israel. She might have saw him. I don't know. But most likely she, she heard of him. And from what she heard and what she knew of the scriptures, she came to a conclusion that this must be the Messiah that Moses wrote of. And she believed that he had the power to help her daughter. And if she had to endure embarrassment, if people were going to laugh at her and mock at her and make fun of her, that was okay. They could, they could throw sticks and stones if they wanted to. She's on a mission for her daughter. And there's nothing going to stop that woman. She was a woman of Canaan. She was a mother, and in our example, we see a mother's love. I think it's breathtaking, but we've got to continue reading to see it all. He answered her not a word. He just ignored her like she Jesus of Nazareth. He just he ignored her as though she wasn't even there. <laughs> Have mercy on me. And he said nothing. How can you do? I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have. You wouldn't have done that. If somebody cried to you, have mercy on me, you would have wanted to know what you could do to help them. Because somebody crying that way is in pain. And if we could relieve their pain, we would do so. But not Jesus. He turned a deaf ear to that woman and was about to go about his business. His disciples came and they urged him and they said to him, send her away because all she does is follow us, cry after us and draw unwanted attraction. Make her leave, make her go home. 
We've had enough of that woman. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said to the woman, I was not sent to help except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is who I came into the world to plead with to turn from their wicked ways that they might have eternal life. Israel is my focus point, not a Syrophoenician woman. She came, she worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Everybody was, they were mocking her. She didn't care. She had a daughter that was sick. And she wanted help, and she thought he could help her. She wasn't going to turn loose. She was like a dog on a bone. She wasn't going to give up. Jesus answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. This one used to before I understood what was going on. I used to be a little offended by this statement. The children's bread, he's talking about the Israelites, the Jewish people. But he's referring to the Syrophoenician woman and her kind as dogs. I've never called anybody a dog. I've called them a varmint. But I've never called anybody a dog. But Jesus implied as much by his statement. How shall I give my treasures that are destined for Israel? How should I give them to you? You don't even acknowledge God. The true God at least. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She didn't ask much. She just asked for help for her daughter because she loved her daughter so very, very much. I thought a lot of times if that would have been me, would I have been as persistent as this woman? Well, back when I had children at home, I honestly believe I would have gotten angry and I'd have hit him. My pride would have been so wounded, treating me and my family as though we're nothing. I would have been so angry, I would have become violent. I, I'm pretty sure I would have because I had that nature at that time. But this woman didn't. She knew what she wanted. She wanted her daughter healed. And she would take any abuse she had to take as long as she got help for her daughter. But she's a much better person than I. And she was a pagan Gentile. And I'm a Christian. She disturbed me something fierce years ago. Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus didn't dismiss the woman. Jesus wanted his apostles to see what true faith looks like. He knew the woman, not because he met her, but because he knew all people. He knew what makes us tick. He knew what was going on in our mind, in our heart. 
He was God in flesh. And he had that ability and obviously used that ability with this particular woman. He knew what kind of faith she had. And he stretched her faith out. And when he got done and he blessed her, gave her what she wanted, don't you know his apostles cringed because they were so far off the mark. They would have behaved just like I would have. But not this woman. She was a mother, and she loved her daughter. And she would do whatever she had to do to help her. The most tender love, I think, comes from a mama. They have to love us. They made us, right? <laughs> but they love us in a very unique way. I can remember when Chris was born. I'd sit there for hours at a time and look at him. I couldn't believe my eyes that that come out of me. I thought it was the most marvelous thing I ever looked at. Then lo and behold, I had an Amanda. And I went through the same phenomenon all over again. And I loved them two people to today, and I love them more than I did yesterday. I would gladly spend my life for my children. But I don't think my love can compare it to the love of their mama. Her love is different. I'm not going to say better, but different. Because Adam needed a helper that was comparable to him. Children get one thing from the male, but they get something else from the woman. And the mother can provide children what they need inside. I believe, I do believe with all my heart that mothers are the foundation on which our nation has been built. And I would encourage you to be all the mama you can be. Because shortly, I know it don't seem like it, but I promise you, shortly, they'll be gone. And you'll be at home, stuck with your wife. She'll be stuck with you. And you, you'll look at each other and watch each other get older. No, it's not that bad. But, but I tell you, when my kids left home, I, I took it real hard. I took it real hard. It was hard for me to get used to. But I'm glad they did because now I got a bigger family. This is wonderful. Mothers, I love you. I adore you. And I wish you much success in fulfilling the responsibility that you have because you are sorely needed. If you're not a Christian, we're here to learn to believe in God to start walking in God's light and stop sinning, to be immersed in water to obtain the forgiveness of sins. As Christians, we are to perfect ourselves as we go forward. It's a slow, arduous task, but it's a mountain that you and I can climb if we keep on trying to climb. Sometimes, well, sometimes, sin gets the best of us, and we back up a little bit. 
we, we're not what we know we should be. 